I'm so excited to be here to share with you uh, today. Again, like was just mentioned, I'm so thankful for Matt and Jay and them setting up uh, the Mindset Series with their messages these last couple of weeks. If you've not been able to see their messages or hear the messages, go to fcbc.life uh, and uh, find those messages there. You can also find them on our YouTube channel. Uh, you can find them there by, by clicking on the icon, the Fort Caroline Baptist Church icon. You can follow and subscribe to our YouTube channel and find all our messages there. So uh, check that out and uh, maybe even go back and review if you were here already. There were great messages on how we can have a different mindset and succeed on purpose. And as was said in the uh, announcement video, I, I get the privilege of talking about how we can uh, succeed on purpose by investing in the next generation. Now, I just want to warn you, I practiced this sermon on Friday and it took me almost an hour to get through it. So I, I pared it down. You'll be happy to know that I pared it down and I think I'm about on time. So you should get out of here about 1030. So you're like, yeah, it's funny. You know, you, you practice it and you're like, whoa, man, that took a lot longer than I thought it was. Uh, so we're, I've got the task of helping us think about how we can invest in the next generation. So um, I guess we need to ask ourselves uh, the question of, of why. Why is that important? And I think it's pretty obvious to some of us, but I just want to outline a couple of these things. If you want to check out our notes for the, the sermon today, you can go to fcbc.live slash notes and you can follow along, uh, maybe fill in your own notes. But I'm, some of these points are, are there and uh, so you can pick up on some, some of that as to why we need to help the next generation uh, follow Christ and invest in them so that they can make the church a stronger place. They can make the church a stronger body of Christ. Well, <clears throat> if you look at any Barna research or any research out there on people's faith uh, walk, and you'll find that most people make a decision to follow Christ in their younger years. In fact, the vast majority of people make their decision before the age of 18. Uh, and we can probably pontificate on what we think that might be the reason. Maybe they're more, uh, I don't know, uh, open or uh, maybe they're, they, they don't have as hard of a heart or, or whatever it is. Uh, but I like to go back to what Jesus said in the scripture. He says in, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, uh, but he also says in Luke 18, in the parallel passage, passage, verse 17, that anyone who comes to him must come to him with the faith of a child. You've probably read that. As well, And so it, it just makes sense that it would be much easier for a, a child to come uh, to, to Christ. And so investing in the next generation, coming to, to them with the message of Christ is so important to lay that foundation because they, ha they do seem to have an openness to Christ. And th those of us who are a little older, it's a little harder for us sometimes to be open and willing to take that step of faith. And so it's important for us to intentionally, strategically minister to the next generation to help them come to Christ because it's just normal that that's kind of an easy thing for them to do, to say, oh, Jesus, yeah, okay, yep, I'll step out and say yes to him. Another thing that I think that's a reason why it's important for us to invest in the next generation is because, well, I think the church is a good idea. Uh, I think the body of Christ is a really good idea. Um, well, if you look at history, you can see that uh, so much of, of literacy, of charity, of, of uh, education, and uh, the caring uh, uh, occupations like hospitals and nurses and doctors, they actually grew out of, of what we see as the, the charity of the church. Uh, when people were abandoning their children on the streets in the Roman Empire, Christians were coming along and collecting them up, and eventually those became orphanages. And uh, when, when people were sick and they needed healing, well, people would 
take them and care for them. They'd pray for them, but they'd also minister them with the best uh, medical knowledge that they knew. We knew Luke, uh, the writer of the Gospel of Luke, was a doctor. And so that, that caring, and you look around the, the um, city that we, uh, the fair city of, of Jacksonville, we have Baptist Hospital. We have St. Vincent's Hospital. Used to be St. Luke's Hospital. So all of those kind of grow out of this love and this heart for just Christian charity. Uh, people needed to learn how to read the Bible as the Protestant Reformation came about and we were uh, making sure the Bible was in the, the language of the people in the King James Version. Believe it or not, that used to be the language of the people, the King James Version. It's really hard to read right now. I went and read some of the scriptures this week in the King James. It's like, wow, people actually spoke like this at one time. So I thought, it's like, wow, that's pretty cool. But uh, it sounds like everybody's in a Shakespearean play, right? So, uh, so they wanted to make sure that people could read the Bible. Uh, not just the clergy who knew Latin and had gone to the seminaries and stuff like that, but everyone who could actually read the Bible could actually grow on their own. And so that was important. So literacy became a big... So the church is a good idea. The church adds a lot to our society. Makes a difference if you just look around to the things that have gone on. So also I think there's a... There's an, I've given kind of some of these kind of peripheral uh, reasons, but I think we can go to the scriptures and find a really cool foundational truth that helps us, helps guide us into why we need to invest in the next generation. And what we're going to do is we're going to go back all the way to the beginning of the Bible. Uh, we're going to go back, go back to Genesis, which is always a great place to start. The beginning is always a good place to start. All right? You with me? Very good. Okay, so get your Bible, your Bible app, or your, your physical Bible, however you want to go there. And uh, you'll want to go to Genesis chapter 4. And here we've got the story of Cain and Abel, and I'm going to read it out of the English Standard Version. And I believe it's going to be up on the screens for you. If not, you have, hopefully you have your, um, your version there in front of you. So let me read it out loud, and then I'll pray, and then we'll talk about it. All right? Uh, now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Sit with that for a minute. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's, your, where's Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you're cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said, my punishment is greater than I can bear. 
Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Not so, anyone who kills Cain. Vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for your your word that speaks truth, and uh, it it cuts to the very heart of who we are. Thank you for the story that can inform us and and teach us. I pray that today, as we think about the next generation and how it is so important that we invest in the lives of kids, preschoolers, middle schoolers, high schoolers, college students. God, I pray that you would just help us to go out of here with a a deeper level of commitment to seeing your word go forth into their lives to build a strong church, not just for tomorrow, but for today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at this again. We're talking about investing in the next generation And what we're going to find here is we're going to find that there's some stuff that was handed off to Cain and Abel by by their parents. So you see at the very first, Adam and Eve, they had two sons. One, Cain, was a worker of the ground, and then Abel was a keeper of the sheep. So what does that tell you? Adam and Eve the only other people around, were good parents. They, they taught them to work hard, right? They became farmers. Because back in uh, the earlier chapters of, of Genesis, Adam was told by God to go and, and work and, and uh, increase and multiply on the earth, you know? And, 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 and then they worked in the garden and they, they did all that before the fall. So, so Adam and Eve were passing along to their son some great work ethic. So they're, they're, they're investing in the next generation to teach them to work hard. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not written there, but you see, you see it as you say, oh, oh yeah, yeah, what dad and mom did, they decided to do. And so they split up the, instead of Adam and Eve doing all of it together, it was, okay, Abel, you do this, you're doing the flocks, and Cain, you're doing the ground. Okay, so we got that. Very good. Okay, so, so good. They're, they're doing that. They're setting the example for us. We need to invest in our kids. We need to teach them to work hard and work to make a living. Then you see that in the course of time, Cain Cain and Abel brought an offering, right? So what else did they learn from their parents, right? They need to come to church. They need to sacrifice. They need to serve. They need to take of what was given to them. And I love what Matt said a couple weeks ago. He says, everything above nothing is a gift from God, right? Your breath your life, everything you got, the clothes you got on, the eyeglasses you're using to see me, these cameras that are pointing at me so you can see me on the internet. So all of that, everything above nothing is a gift from God. And Cain and Abel knew that because their parents taught them that. The only other people, of course, in the world at this time, right? There's just four, right? So, so, so they're learning from their parents, not only to work hard, but to worship, man. Give of, give of what you got to God, now, there's, there's no Torah at this time. There's no 
Exodus and Leviticus where it outlines, okay, give this part and give that part and give that. But they learned to sacrifice. And, and maybe they had an altar of stone and they put the stuff on there, but we, we just don't know. All we know is that they both came and brought an offering. You know, when, when we think about the, the Jewish and Levitical laws and all of the offering and how they did that, we're, we sometimes kind of put that back in here, but this is the beginning, you know. Adam and Eve didn't have a Torah to teach, you know. They didn't have Leviticus and Exodus to say, okay, this is how you do an offering, right? So what they did is they said, hey, you know, God is good, and he has given you all of this. You need to give some of that back. And so they invested in the next generation to teach them not only to work hard, but also to give back to God because everything above nothing is a gift from God. And then the offering happens, and we don't know why. It's not really told why. Maybe it has something to do when we read back into this story about giving the best of what you've got. Maybe, maybe it was Cain's heart. We really don't know. It just says, Cain brought an offering from the fruit of the ground. Abel brought of the firstborn of the flock and the fat portions. And the, the, the phrases are very simple. And the Lord regarded Abel's offering, but he didn't have a regard for Cain's offering. Hmm. And so we're set to, to kind of meditate on that. Hmm. I wonder what was going on. I don't know. Of course, we can read back into it. Maybe he was this way. Maybe this happened. Maybe he didn't get the best apples he had or whatever it was. And get, they were bruised or something. And God's like, I don't want bruised apples, you know. And, 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 and Abel gave the best, you know, of his flock, you know, the, the best, strongest sheep or the firstborn. I don't know. But we know there's that going on. And so Cain got angry. And so the, the sin of Adam and Eve that they experienced in the garden, the fall, just a chapter or so before, is visiting on the kids. So they not only invested good stuff, but they, they invested some bad stuff into their kids as well. They learned to sin. So he became angry and the Lord asked him, why are you so angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you, and if you do not do well, here it is. Sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you. In some other versions, its desire is to have you, to take you. But you must rule over it. And you know the rest of the story. Cain decided he was going to do what was right in his eyes, just like Adam and Eve did in the former story of their fall. What was right in their eyes? They saw the fruit. It looked good to eat. It looked good for giving them wisdom. And that was good in their own eyes. And they decided what to do was good in their own eyes, and they took that fruit. And they were expelled from the garden. Cain was angry. He decided to do what was right in his own eyes, which was to take care of who was the problem, right? Who was the problem? It was Abel, his brother, or so he thought. Or maybe he was angry at God and just couldn't do anything about it. So he decided to kill. We, we really, he just was angry and he did what was right in his own eyes. And he faced the consequences. But just like Adam and just like Eve, there was not only exile, but there was also mercy. The mark. Cain laments, anyone who finds me will kill me. God says, not so. 
I'll give you a mark, and anyone who kills you will have vengeance on them sevenfold. And so there was mercy. There was covering. Just like Adam and Eve received the covering of the animal skins as they went out because they saw that they were naked and they were both ashamed. And so God gave them skins to cover themselves. God gave a mark to Cain to cover him, to give him mercy. Because the Bible did say, when you sin, when you eat of the tree, you'll die. They didn't die immediately. They died, they died spiritually. There was a spiritual death. There was a separation from God. Same thing in Cain's life. There was, a, there was an exile. There was a separation. Uh, there was that punishment. There was also mercy in that punishment. There was covering. There was protection. And so we see that, that Adam and Eve not only passed along some good stuff, Work hard, give back to God, serve Him, worship Him. All your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Give Him the good stuff of the land, the good stuff of your flocks. But they also learned, they learned that doing what's right in your own eyes ends up in a bad place. Now let's talk about how this might apply to us. As the church, uh, more speci specifically, we could say it applies to families, moms and dads teaching their kids. But I think it can apply to us as a church investing in the next generation. I think we can pull some truths from there because all throughout the scripture, there there's things that are passed along to the next generation. And we just got finished reading uh, the 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 end of Deuteronomy where it talks about the the new generation going into the promised land. And, and how the old generation died off in the wilderness. And so it's a next generation, a next generation, a next generation. They're always building towards the next generation. And so I think we can pull some truths from this about what we want to do to intentionally make a difference in that next generation so that the church can be strong, so that we, we can see the work of God go forward. So how do we do that? How do we do that? I'm going to pull from some uh, materials that I think has been really helpful for me and kind of created some some structure around which I like to think about how we do next-gen ministry and, and really how do I try to do ministry on my own personally. So maybe you can glean something from this, not something that you would just give away, but something that would help you in growing your own faith. Not only how you would invest in the next generation, but how you might invest in yourself to help you grow and become more of what God wants you to be. Uh, I'm going to uh, pull a little bit from a, a, a nice, uh, a great book. It's about 14 or 15 years old. Uh, I think even the sermon series by Andy Stanley was preached before that, and it was, it was the, kind of the foundation of the development of this little uh, resource. And some of your small groups have gone through this. Great stuff. If you, if you don't have anything to do with your small group or your life group or whatever, get this. A few bucks for, the, for this, and you can find the videos online. But I'm going to hit the highlights. And I think you'll find that they're very very informative. So what, what you, you see here in this five things to grow your faith, there, there are five things that make a difference in people's lives. See, Andy Stanley, in developing this, he, he kind of talked to a bunch of people and said, what are the things that really seem to grow your faith and make a difference in your faith walk? And he started off with um, just a bunch of stuff on, you know, down on a piece of paper. And then as he started to categorize them, he began to see, okay, they, they're starting to line up in five different areas, and that's what you have here. Five things that actually God uses to grow your faith. And I believe we can take some truth from this and take it and apply it to how we might invest in the life of the next generation, but also how we can invest in ourselves. All right? Win-win, right? 
All right. Okay. So the, the first thing that he lists here is practical teaching. Practical teaching. Somebody in a person's life, as they're saying, you know, this, this person uh, spoke and, and they were bringing the Bible and, and they, it applied to my life and it just came alive. I'm like, the scriptures just like, the lights came on and I heard this practical teaching. And so practical teaching is one of the things that people, uh, that God uses to grow people's faith. Uh, a, a second uh, thing that God uses to grow our faith is providential relationships. Providential relationships. These are all going to begin with P if you're an alliteration person. You're welcome, Ricky. All right, so um, providential relationships. Ricky was our former pastor, and he did that a lot. So, uh, And Andy does it. So uh, providential relationships. So that's, that's someone came into a person's life. Maybe it was a coach. Maybe it was a pastor. Maybe it was a friend, life group leader. They came alongside of them, and they began to walk with them and live with them and be with them. And their influence, their impact came along maybe at a certain time in life. They were very influential, very open to hearing maybe the gospel or, or taking another step in their faith walk. So people, providential relationships uh, made that happen. Uh, another thing that's listed is private disciplines. Private disciplines. Uh, this is things like, this is things like fasting, uh, reading your Bible, uh, meditating scripture on Scripture, uh, uh, witnessing those private disciplines that you do by yourself, uh, and you you seem to have a sense of walking with God, uh, disciplining yourself in a relationship with God. Okay, so that's private disciplines. The the, the fourth thing is personal ministry. Okay, so personal ministry is getting involved or engaged in some sort of ministry. Maybe it's in the community. Maybe it's here in the church. Maybe you become a life group leader. Maybe you do VBS or you, you go on a mission trip and you're like, wow, this just impacted my life and made me take so many steps forward. Uh, Rick was just talking about being a part of the Gideon ministry and how that pushed, uh, it propelled him forward in uh, his walk with Christ and his growth in his faith. That's personal ministry. You engage yourself in some kind of personal ministry and it propels you forward in your, your walk with God. And then the last one that's listed here is pivotal circumstances. Pivotal circumstances are the things that happen in your life that uh, maybe did they come out of the blue, um, uh, they're a big change, uh, a move. Um, you lose your job or you're transitioning between jobs. You retire from one job, maybe you're in the military, you retire from one job, you, you go into another job in, in the... Um, in the civilian world, uh, that's a change. Uh, a divorce, a death, um, any, any of those pivotal circumstances. Maybe you graduate, you have a transition from high school into college or from college into the work world. Those transitions, those pivotal circumstances can sometimes be a, a pivot point where you begin to really trust God. You're like relying on him to, to help you make a step forward and, and really kind of get across that, that difficulty, that transition. So the pivotal circumstances are something that I believe God can use to grow our faith. And you can, you can dive a little bit more into those on your own. You could get the book. You can go and look at the, uh, you can do some uh, personal um, uh, looking yourself, a uh, private discipline, go into the internet, watching a, a sermon. That's something you could do. Uh, and that'll help propel your faith forward. But go ahead and take that and apply that. Let's talk about how we can do that in our next generation. I'm going to just challenge you to, to think about how these things can be something that you can do, that we can do, to make a difference in the next generation. 
Well, think just about relationships. Talked about pivotal relationships, right? Or providential relationships. Maybe God has for you a kid or a teenager that your life needs to intersect with somehow, some way. That they see in you a person who walks with God, who's had years of experience, good and bad, but it's grown you to a place of faith. And your relationship with that kid, maybe through a small group, uh, maybe through the week of vacation Bible school as you lead their Bible study group, or maybe you you go a little more long-term and you decide, I'm going to go to week-to-week working with middle schoolers, working with middle schoolers, uh, and week in, week out, I'm going to pray for them and get to know who their, their parents are and pray for their parents. And, and I'm, I'm going to get to know the thing they're struggling with. Uh, maybe they didn't get on the team. Uh, and, and they need to begin to develop a, a, a private discipline of, of beginning to learn how to pray. And, and I'm, I'm going to pray with them in their small group and teach them what it means to pray. And, and, I, and I'm going to do that. I'm, I'm going to offer that in a way that maybe my relationship with that kid could be one of those providential relationships that 20, 30 years down the line, they look back and they say, that person for that season made such a difference in my life. Now, for those of you who have had a faith walk for a while, you may be thinking, yeah, yeah, I, I remember there were some people, I can think of four or five people right now that, that they were pivotal, they were providential. God placed them in my life at a certain time when I needed them to be there and it helped grow my faith and get me to where I am now. And you can, you can go down that list. You can, you can think about pivotal circumstances. You can think about someone in the next generation who's going through a difficult time. Maybe their parents are getting a divorce and you insert yourself in there. You're praying for them. Maybe you write them a little note during that pivotal circumstance I heard about your family and the tough time you're going through, and I am so sorry. And I want you to know, me and our life group are praying for you and the things that you're, you're struggling with. And so, so that, that, that pivotal circumstance that that kid in that next generation is, is, is like, wow, that matters. They took the time to actually write something, not text or email. They actually wrote it and sent it, and they paid for a stamp. And it got to, and I was like, great, I'm reading it here. And I can't understand cursive, but it looks awesome. <laughs> anyway, just kidding. That's a personal pet peeve of mine. They should learn cursive. They should. They should. Anyway, so um, but there's so many things that I think that we could do uh, to make a difference in the lives of the next year. But, but you probably could look at those five things and say, you know what? I could use some of that faith-growing stuff in my own life. I, I could use some of that right now. Maybe I need to begin to pick up some more private disciplines. Maybe I need to put myself in personal ministry to help me grow in my faith. Maybe I've stalled a little bit. And maybe that's something you can do today. So what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to land this thing with a couple of challenges. First, I want you to start a conversation. First conversation you need to start is a conversation you have between you and God. You need to pray. You need to really seek the Lord on this because he may have something for you to do that maybe you haven't been open to before. Just with open hands, say, God, I'm yours. Whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do. That just submissive, humble obedience, he'll honor. And he'll show you. God doesn't want to hide his will from you. 
He wants to show you. He wants to show you His will. It's oftentimes we don't want to see it. We want to just do what's good in our own eyes, right? Like Cain, like Adam and Eve. We want to do what's right in our own eyes. So I'm going to encourage you to start a conversation with God, but then start a conversation with others in your life. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's one of the pastors. Maybe it's your life group. Maybe it's just, uh, uh, maybe you're in CR. You're starting a, a conversation with your friends in CR. And it's about, I think I need to make a difference in the next generation. Pray for me as I take those steps. Then I want you to make a commitment. Start a conversation then make a commitment. Do it. Let us know you want to. We'll give you everything you need to take that next step. We'll sign you up for VBS. We'll walk alongside you as you start to learn to, to step into a small group. Or I'm sure if you go over to Pal Park and you want to be a coach and you're like, man, I know baseball and I can shine my light there and, and live for Jesus there and show them what it means to be a godly baseball coach. Because we need godly, godly baseball coaches. Yeah, you probably hear them all the time speaking to the umpires. So anyway, so yeah, we need godly baseball coaches. So you can shine, make a commitment, step out and trust that God is going to show you how you can make a difference in the next generation. And the, the, that would be a remiss, and I'm out of time, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you for this last commitment, whether you're online or you're here in the room. Um, why we do what we do is because we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And if that doesn't make a lot of sense to you, or you're just kind of questioning that, I just want to walk you very clearly and very quickly through what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, because maybe you're, you're unaware. First of all, you recognize that you, like Cain, like Adam and Eve, have decided what's right in your own eyes is what you want to do. You sin, and that separates us from God. It creates a barrier. But God had mercy just like he gave the mark, just like he gave the covering. He had mercy on us by sending his son Jesus to be our sin bearer. You see, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so Jesus came to be, the Bible says, our sin bearer. He who knew no sin, he was made to be sin for us. And so what we do as a response to that. We believe that he died for our sins according to, our, to the scriptures, was buried, and was raised again the third day according to the scriptures to show that not only could he bear our sin, but he can have victory over our sin and over death. And so when we believe that, trust that with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, then we can become a Christian. We can become a child of God. The Bible says to as many as... Uh, received him to those who believed on his name, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. He wants us to take that step of faith. If you've never taken that step of faith, then you are outside the family of God. You must take that step of faith to say yes to what Jesus has done and believe in your heart that he can save you from your sins, forgive you. And this is the beautiful thing. It says he gives us a new life. The old has passed the new has come. So I want to pray with you. And if you feel like that's a decision you need to make, I want you to pray that prayer, maybe silently in your heart, maybe mouth the words, whatever it is you need to do to make this prayer real to you. Let me pray with you. Dear Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. 
And God, I believe that he died for my sins, that he was buried, he raised again on the third day to give me new life. I, I receive that, I ask for and receive that forgiveness. I turn away from my sin and I turn to you. I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to come and live in me so that I can live that new life, that I can do what's right in your eyes and not what's right in my own eyes. Teach me, Lord. Help me to grow in this. Help me to live for you as best I can with the power of your Spirit living in me. If you prayed that prayer, you need to talk to somebody. If you truly meant it, you need to talk to somebody. Maybe go back to the next steps area. Come up here and talk to me. Maybe talk to a friend, family member. Get on our Let's Connect card and just say this is the decision you made today. Let us know. We want to walk with you. God, thank you so much for all you've done today. Thank you for the truth of your word that teaches us, informs us, and leads us. And God, help us to go with a new mindset of making a difference in the next generation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.